again. Good morning. I'm going to take your Bibles uh, with me and turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, resurrection will be our, our theme, as would only be appropriate. Our text will be Romans chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you for help. Pastor Ben said, we pray for your help even now. Lord, help us in the reading of your word. As we hear your word, help me in the preaching of your word. Uh, may Jesus Christ be praised in what he has accomplished, in his, in his work, not only in his work, but in who he is as the Son of God, as the Son of God, as the Savior for sinners. What sweet words, what sweet comfort that, Lord Jesus, you have never turned anyone away who has come to you, taken your burden, has given you their burden. So, Lord, would you help us through the Holy Spirit today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Paul writes to this church, to the believers there at Rome, and he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too. Go back just a, just a few words there. Just as, middle of verse 4, just as Christ, dot, 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 we too might walk in newness of life. We'll stop there for just a moment. Paul is going to go on to say to these uh, believers, even as he says also to us today, to all of us and Yes, particularly to believers in Christ. He is going to say this. He says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not submit your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. 
Let me say that first part again. He is going to say in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your... Let it not reign, R-E-I-G-N. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Christian believer, do not let, with God's help, yes, with God's help, but Christian believer, listen to me, do not let sin dominate your life in any way. You see, our sin failures as believers, our sin failures as believers can often be traced to our failure to consider. To truly consider what? Our union with Christ. Our union with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we're glad you're here. And you have never been united to Christ. And this morning, you need to see, you you need to behold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You need to see, and as one man has said, you need to see, and by God's grace, you need to taste, you need to see and savor Christ for the first time. But our sin failures, our sin failures as believers are often traced to a failure, I say it again, a failure to consider, to truly consider the fact that we are united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. So think with me for just a moment. Think with me about a picture. This is a picture that some of you have witnessed many times. It is the the symbol, the picture of baptism. So already it's been some months ago when we uh, had our service and then drove over to the YMCA for baptism. Oliver and Hannah, praise the Lord. Maybe Maybe you've never witnessed a baptism. Like I said, maybe you've seen it many times. Try to get the picture with me. Uh, in Christian baptism, in Christian baptism, a believer uh, goes uh, with with the church. It's a it's a church ordinance. So a believer uh, goes down into some body of water. A believer makes her way, makes his way uh, down into some maybe a river, uh, maybe it's a baptismal tank, a baptistry, uh, maybe it's a pool. But the believer makes makes his way down into the water, and then the believer, almost passively in a sense, the believer is acted upon. The believer is then submerged into the water, and then, then he or she comes up out of the water and back into the air where, he, where you can breathe, and, and hopefully the, the pastor hasn't been cruel and held the person under too long, but I want you to get that picture in particular. That part of baptism, uh, kind of near the end of the act of baptism, near the end of the act itself, when the believer, signifying his union with Christ, is not only plunged into the water, but that picture 
when the believer is raised, when, when he emerges out of the water. You know, they're holding their nose and bringing them down, bringing them up. And you think about coming up out of the water, coming up out of what? Coming out of a watery grave. Buried in a watery grave, raised out of a watery grave, raised up to the air, where you can breathe, raised up to, to what? To newness of life. It's a picture of newness of life. It's a picture of resurrection. It is a picture of resurrection, baptism. Well, as we look at Romans chapter 6 this morning, I have three things, three headings, if you're taking notes on paper or in your head. Maybe you could say that the title would be this, uh, we need to uh, reckon with the resurrection. Because, and we'll get to this, there is a key word. Sometimes it's translated as reckon. It's in verse 11. Verse 11, by the way, says, So you also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that word consider is more than just merely think about or merely consider. Oh, I considered it. No, no. We must reckon with the resurrection. Point number one, union with Christ. Number one, union with Christ. You say, what is that? Well, first of all, let me just show it to you in the text. Union with Christ. Look again at verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? You do know, right? Paul says to them. Do you not know? And you do. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. With him by baptism into death. Union with Christ, verse 4, with Him. Verse 5, very important phrase here, united with Him. Once again, verse 5, united with Him. Verse 6, with Him. Verse 8, with Christ. Verse 8, with Him, etc., etc., Point number one, very quickly, is union with Christ. What does that mean? It means believers are united to Christ. Uh, it's originally a, a botanical uh, idea here. It's a plant grafted with another one. You think of John chapter 15. I am the vine, says Jesus. I am the fulfillment of Israel. I am the true Israel. I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Union with Christ. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us, if you're a believer. If you're a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, the strongest Christian ever, or you may think, I'm the weakest Christian in the whole thing, doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. 
It's all of these short prepositional phrases, with Him, united with Him, in Him, with Christ. That's number one, union with Christ. I said I had three. Let's go to number two. Number two, Christ's resurrection. You may already have familiarity with Romans chapter 6. Maybe if you're a believer, if you've been walking with the Lord. Romans chapter 6 is juicy. Uh, it is. Uh, it has much application for the Christian. Romans chapter 6 is talking to the church. It's talking to the Christian believer. And the reason it's got such powerful and really practical things to say to us as believers as a church is because it's talking about Jesus Christ. First and foremost, it's talking about the cross and the resurrection. And first and foremost, that's not you and that's not me. That's Jesus. But it's talking about us as well, in as much as we are with him, with Jesus. And it talks about his resurrection, Christ's resurrection. Now, now just again, just notice this. Just notice this, verse 5 speaks about his resurrection. Look there with me. The language is a resurrection like his. Back up in verse 4. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead. This is... Uh, an objective fact of history. This happened in human history. There were multiple, multiple, multiplied witnesses. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to dwell on that this morning. If, if Christ has, has not been bodily raised from the dead, what we're doing here is amounts to nothing. But yet he has been raised. And I'm simply pointing out right now, just for the moment, I'm simply pointing out as we look in verse 5, at the end of verse 4, and in verse 9, how it simply talks about Christ's resurrection. Now, it's also going to be talking about our resurrection. But our resurrection is in Christ's resurrection. Now, I'd love for you to turn here with me. You don't have to. You can just listen back to Luke 24. Luke 24. This time, not the road to Emmaus. But you know, this, uh, this whole chapter is worthy of your attention, maybe this afternoon, maybe as a family, maybe you read a little bit of it before uh, Easter lunch. You can find the account of the Resurrection of the Son of God in all four Gospels. And in Luke, it's in Luke chapter 24. Now look at it with me. Listen, Luke 24, 1. Let's just hear this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Luke 24, 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Stop there for just a moment. I love... I love how Pastor James spoke to us on Friday night 
Friday is called Good Friday, and he preached to us from Isaiah 53. And, and, and he said to us, if you would have asked anyone, especially those closest to the Lord Jesus, after all that transpired on that original Friday, if you would have said, boy, this is a good Friday, how in the world could you say that? How could you say that? But we read Luke 24 in light of the cross. And the cross Friday, it is Good Friday, in spite of the fact that it was in so many ways horrific. Nevertheless, because of the resurrection, it absolutely is Good Friday. Christ made atonement for our sins. He made atonement for our sins. He bore the wrath of God in your place if you will repent and believe today. It's Good Friday. It's Good Friday. Verse 4 of Luke 24. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, what a great question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told remember how he told you thank the lord for his patience with us while he was still in galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise and they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest now it was mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. There's one place where you have just an, an account of the historical Glorious resurrection of the Son of God. Angels roll the rock away. Death yield up the mighty prey. See, he rises from the tomb, glowing with immortal bloom. Tis the Savior, angels raise, fame's eternal trump of praise. Let the earth's remotest bound hear the joy-inspiring sound. Now, you saints, lift up your eyes. Now to glory, see him rise in long triumph up the sky, up to waiting worlds on high. Heaven displays her portals wide. Glorious Savior, through them ride. King of glory, mount thy throne, thy great fathers and thy own. Praise him, all ye heavenly choirs. Praise and sweep your golden lyres. Shout, O earth, in rapturous song. Let the strains be sweet and strong. Every note with wonder swell. Sin overthrown and captived hell. Where is hell's once dreaded king? Where, O oh death, thy mortal sting? Hallelujah. We see the resurrection, but before we would leave Luke to return to Romans, I would just point out one more thing. And that is not only his resurrection, but his crucifixion. Back in Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. 
Luke 23, 45, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Back in Romans chapter 6. Back in Romans chapter 6, we're thinking about his resurrection. Look at verse 5. says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, what's the purpose of all this? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, notice verse 9, being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And here's where the payoff begins. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We see his resurrection. We've noticed his resurrection here in Romans 6. We've noticed his resurrection in in Luke chapter 24. Just for a brief moment, notice his death in Romans chapter 6. Notice Christ's death. In verse 3, his death. In verse 5, his death, or to use the precise language, a death like his. In verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. In verse 10, the death he died. uh, John Owen, 400 years ago, of course, said he described it as the death of death in the death of Christ. The death of death in the death of Christ. Very quickly, get the logic of this passage. See, You see, based on what Paul has been saying about justification by faith, Paul has been teaching so far in the book of Romans that we can be made right with God simply by believing the gospel, simply by hearing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is the righteous one. He died on the cross as our substitute. He died bearing the holy anger of God that we deserve. He rose from the dead. And Paul has been preaching and writing That if we simply receive that good news by faith, by God's grace alone, it's all by grace, which therefore means it's not by our works. Paul has been saying, not your works, not your works, not your works. Trust in Jesus Christ. He is the sin bearer. And he's been saying this. And so the question has come up. Well, if it's all about grace, then it really doesn't matter. Right, Paul, if we continue in sin. And he said that in 520. Back in 520, he said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And if that's the math that you want to use, Paul, if that's the equation that you want to use, more sin, more grace, well, then we'll do God a favor and we'll just continue in sin so that God's grace will be magnified. And Paul says, never. He says, may it never be. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now get this. 
He knows the question. Verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's got a question of his own. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is not hypothetical. My brother and sister, my fellow believer, what this passage is not saying is consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God as though that were really true. Just imagine, just imagine if you were dead to sin's power. Just imagine if you were free from the power of sin. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, in Jesus Christ, you are dead to sin. In Jesus Christ, you are alive to God. It's not, imagine, imagine as though a hypothetical, he says, because it is true, therefore reckon upon it. Therefore consider it. Therefore daily consider, be proactive. Not only do we pray and confess the sins that we commit, but we proactively consider ourselves dead to sin. We do not understand it. We don't understand it. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross so many 2,000 years ago, bearing the wrath of God, we died with him. And when Jesus was raised by the glory of the Father, we too were raised. God raises the dead. We have been raised with Christ. Sin is dead to us. Clearly in this passage, clearly he makes room for the ongoing presence of sin. Clearly he's not talking about believers being perfected in this life. Nevertheless, what he's saying is that there is a dramatic change when you come up out of the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism are not magical, but the waters of baptism symbolize the fact that you have been raised with Christ. And if you're raised with Christ, then you're alive to God and you're dead to sin. He makes this statement in verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Never minimize the importance of knowledge in Christian discipleship. Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you know about your union with Christ? Do you know that if you are saved, do you know that if you are a Christian, that when Jesus died, you died with him? That when Jesus was raised, you were raised with him? That you were buried with Christ? That's what baptism is. You were buried in a watery grave. Do you know this? Do you know it? Well, then verse 11, then consider yourself dead. Says the plural, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He makes his heading statement in verse 2, and he spends the rest of the time unpacking it. Point number one, union with Christ. Point number two, Christ's resurrection and his death. Point number three, didn't make it hard on you this morning. It's the same as number one, union with Christ. What's this passage about? Romans chapter six is about his resurrection and our resurrection. His death and our death. We are united to Christ. In his death and in his resurrection, we are alive to God. See, that's the issue. Some of you may take the name of Christian, that most noble of all names, upon yourself. 
but in fact you may not be alive to God. You may not be alive to God because you cannot in any way be a slave to sin and at the same time be a slave to Christ. It's like the scripture says, you cannot serve God in money. It's an either or. This passage, I think, makes that clear. You are a free slave of God through Jesus Christ, or you're a slave of sin. I call upon you this morning to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold him as the end of Romans chapter 4 says. He was raised for our justification. If Christ is not raised, then our faith is futile. If Christ is not raised, we're not made right with God. The resurrection seals the atonement. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to him. Say, God, raise me, a poor, uh, wretched sinner. Raise me from the dead. Like you did Lazarus. Did Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. My dear fellow believers, let not sin dominate your life. Let me close and in, in a few ways and in a few minutes. Let me try to make this all the more practical. good text to look at, Romans chapter 6 on Easter Sunday, to think about Christ's resurrection. You don't think about Christ's resurrection without also thinking about his death. You don't think about Christ's death without also thinking about his resurrection. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God, and his work is his perfect life, and his death, and his resurrection. Jessica feels guilty that her conversation so often crosses the line into gossip and even slander when she talks on the phone to her best friend about other people. She doesn't like these feelings of guilt, and she's sure that God is not pleased. But there seems to be no victory over sin. Timothy is not faring well in his struggle with lust. He feels like he knows the danger of the sins that he occasionally gives into, but it hasn't stopped him from sinning in this way. Elizabeth has been a professing Christian a bit longer than Timothy and Jessica. It's ten years ago at age 27 that she responded to an invitation to believe in Christ and then was baptized. She couldn't believe what she heard. God could forgive a sinner like her through the grace that is in Jesus. Nevertheless, the newness of her salvation has begun to wear off. Wear off. What do these three have in common? Struggling with lust. Guilty conscience about gossip, slander. The newness of a joyful salvation wearing off. These three have in common that they are, in fact, believers. They are believers but what they have in common is that they need to remember to reckon with the resurrection. Paul does not say here in Romans chapter 6, do better. Paul says, remember the gospel. Paul says, look to Jesus. Paul says, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Remember that in bapti baptism, 
you were buried with Christ. You were raised to newness of life with Christ. Some of you know the song. As the song says, listen, let no one caught in sin remain. Inside the lie of inward shame. We fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love and bled for us. Freely you bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. I close with this. Martin Lloyd-Jones describes the teaching of Romans chapter 6 as two Two units on a British countryside, two fenced in areas with high stone walls. One of the fenced in areas, as Romans 6 teaches us, represents the area into which we are all born. It's an area over which Satan and sin rules. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through our faith union, if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ by God's grace alone, he takes us out of this fenced in area with the stone high walls. And he places us in the adjacent area which is ruled not by Satan and not by sin, but is ruled by Christ. We have been removed from one sphere. We have been definitively removed. We are not fighting an uphill battle. Christian, be who you are. We are in a state of grace. We are not under the law, as 6.14 says. Therefore, sin shall have no dominion over you. May we walk in light of the resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we are in the sphere of Christ. And yet we still hear the voice of temptation. And sometimes we fail quite spectacularly, miserably. And even now, we confess our sin and we confess that we are sinners. Lord, have mercy upon us. Would you, O oh God, wake us up to the reality? Not that we could try to imagine what it would be like to be dead to sin. Lord, but that we would know and that we would live our lives in the knowledge that we are dead to sin through Christ. We will be raised in physical bodies in the resurrection to come, and we have been raised. Lord, we worship you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.